Welcome to the Storyform Podcast, where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, Soul Care Pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Let's get this conversation started. Well, we welcome you to the Storyform Podcast. I have my uh, my my trusty guest uh, here with me that I've had every week. Tori Wilkerson is here. Tori, how are things in your world? They're fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, in this very moment, my life is fabulous. Well, <laughs> why this very moment? Just because I'm here with you. Oh. I, I look forward to it every two weeks. Well, it's fun. Well, I look forward to having you here too. It's always good. We're still waiting for the uh, the live intervention with you, and uh, that's that's to come. We're just gonna let's just we're do it do today. A deep dive. Let's do it today. Maybe today. Is I the feel day. prepared. I yeah, feel prepared. We do today. a deep dive. Yeah. I feel mentally and emotionally strong today. Okay. Well, uh, I do too. I think maybe maybe we do that. Well, um, I am super super excited for the guest that we have here today. Um, that's going to be talking about a very very interesting topic. And so our guest today is Dr. Jenna Britt. Um, I'm going to read a little bit um, of Jenna's credentials, and then we will officially welcome her. So Jenna Britt, Dr. Britt, began as a therapist in 2003. Uh, She is a licensed practicing counselor. She holds a PhD in psychology and a master's degree in counseling. She's also the owner and clinical director of Re-Envision Counseling here in Jackson. Jenna is married to Brian, and they have two children. Jenna, Dr. Britt... Can I call you Jenna? Of course, yes. (laughs) Thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, excited about um, just having you here, interviewing you, hearing about your expertise and your passion. Um, And so as we began, uh, I think months ago, I reached out to you to be able to come on the podcast because we have various professionals and uh, people that come on and talk about mental health topics. And um, so when I engaged you to come on the podcast, I just said, what are you passionate about? What is something that is, um, if you could talk about anything, what would you want to talk about? And you said, I really want to talk about parts of self. I want to talk about how that is impacted uh, you and also uh, your uh, role as a as a therapist and a practitioner. So let's just begin with that question. Why this topic? Hmm. Well, uh, this this approach to understanding people and to uh, to working through conflict within people, within marriages, within um, spiritual struggles, so many areas, every area, every area you carry around multiple selves all the time. And we have this like monolithic view that, and, and people are often in conflict. I'm either this or I'm either that. And sometimes a spouse will say to their spouse, well, you can't have it both ways. Either you feel this way or you feel this way. And one is true and one is false. So which is it? Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. <laughs> they can absolutely both be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we start to come to terms with that and understand more about the neurobiology behind it, we have so much more to look at and lean on in the past 15 years than we did 20, 30 years ago. And yet so often people are functioning out of really old school knowledge about 
therapy about um, a lot of shame and guilt and what you should think and you know what happens somehow when you become an adult you just download this new set of software from the sky somehow that is different and healthy and somehow you're divorced from the first 20 years of your your template and your life um, or that time like well, that's been 20 years that shouldn't be affecting me anymore right I hear that a lot um, or surely it couldn't I've I've I have spoken over that. I have worked on that. And so then there's just more failure and frustration when these things continue hanging around because we have a misunderstanding about ourselves. And so um, I I just am incredibly passionate about this paradigm because I've seen it transform clients' lives. I've seen it I've seen it impact my own um, and my spouse, our lives when we did our counseling and then the trainings that we've done with my staff, everybody is trained in ego state therapy and watching those three days of training and just the mind blowing, like you do live demonstrations with each other the whole time. Mm. And the trainer um, is just an incredible therapist and she drove in and stayed and watching her, do this with my therapist and myself in front of each other and using personal material and information and live demonstrations, you just can't go back. Mm -hmm. You just can't, you you can't go back to just trying to talk about things out of the prefrontal cortex and just pretend like that's where we actually live out of. Right. When it's not. Right. Talk about that a little bit further, Jenna, the idea that, the monolithic idea of self because mm-hmm. it really is a fascinating reality and it's true. I mean, mm-hmm. I think about this Sunday. Um, I had a very busy day mm-hmm. uh, and and so I literally said part of me mm-hmm. uh, wants to do nothing today yes. and just veg. The other part of me uh, knows that I need to go out and work in the yard because the leaves have fallen all over the yard and I've got to go mulch the leaves. So I literally felt this Mm -hmm. tug of war inside of me, you know, the responsible, I've got to go mulch the leaves one out Mm -hmm. uh, to the, I need to rest today. And so it's that reality that we know that takes place and we can identify that. Mm -hmm. But when you say, you know, that is something that oftentimes people aren't aware of that. They're coming from a more uh, singular, you know, either on this or mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. And like, I've always yeah. hated personality tests that made you check a box. Right. Like, I'm like, I'm not that simple. Are you in this situation? Would you do A, B or C? It's like on what day <laughs> and in what hour of the day and with which people, Right. you know? Um, and we like to type and we like to pick categories and we need that to file the world around us. I get it. And yet when we do it on ourselves, we're creating like, so much anxiety and so many internal rules and so many voices that we don't know we're carrying. And so parts of self can be differentiated from like states of mind in that states of mind are very transient. They come through, they come and go. Parts of self are more clearly defined. Um, John Watkins and his wife, Helen developed this in like the seventies and eighties. They were, um, both behavioral scientists and it continued to be so many different people across the discipline. Carl Jung explored this with shadow selves and Mm -hmm. Eric Byrne with transactional analysis and the parent adult child parts of self, um, Richard Schwartz with internal family systems. So 
there's been a lot of outgrowth from it, but the principle is all that we have this almost like a diamond is multifaceted. It has many different, many different portions within it, but it, it makes up the whole diamond. And every person as your, as your neural systems wire together and build from childhood, you start to develop messages that your midbrain stores as a way to interpret the world around you and to determine, am I safe? Am I loved? Does my voice matter? Um, what does my gender limit? What does, what do people expect? What do we have all these things that we're constantly, um, being taught and impressed upon us. And they're important to function in the world. Those clusters of neural firings need to happen so that you can follow your intuition and, and make sense of your day without having to stop and micromanage every single thought. Um, so one of the first things I, I really try to explain to people is that there are parts of you that you will be convinced our goal in therapy is to cut out, get rid of, drop off the bus, like get them out of here. And we're not going to be able to do that because they are part of you. It's wired in. And just as I love when I work with my medical professionals because they understand how the whole anatomy is so systemic and yet they're fascinated because they're only, they're taught about going into those specific portions of the brain that need a specific physical alteration and haven't spent much time thinking about how their, their entire neural network is operating all the time. And the same premise applies that if we're going to go in and work with a part of that, we've got to understand it and we've got to find the healthy tissue to bring to it and to, you know, to work with it. You just don't take a chunk out. Um, and so parts of self develop in three ways. Primarily they develop through repeated positive experiences and so most people have parts of themselves, and I'm going to say parts, uh, people on our bus. I have a little preschool bus in my office. It's got about 10 different people <laughs> sitting in it, and you can rearrange where people sit. And we use this illustration because um, we all have these parts of self that we're driving around. And so people develop parts they really like, like I really like my work self or I like how I present in certain social situations or when I'm with my friends, I'm very empathic. I'm very, my system is relaxed and I can listen and be non-judgmental. However, I walk in the door and my spouse looks at me wrong and it's like the dragon is just unleashed mm -hmm. and they don't understand and just have tried to use like berating themselves and guilt and shame. And um, so yeah, then the negative parts well, negative parts is not something I would say in session, the parts that people have labeled as negative, mm -hmm. but because of repeated negative experiences. And so beliefs that they've learned to cope with and interpret, for, for instance, we know that kids, um, when parents are really dysfunctional, it's safer to assume that I'm the problem because it's less safe if the adults around you are the problem. Mm -hmm. Like you can't function like that. You've got to count on them to be in charge. And so in order to function, kids label like, well, it's got to be me. I'm the problem. Um, that's why my dad yells at me all the time. Or that's why my mom won't ever stay home with me. Or that's why they got a divorce, you know, and it just, it becomes deeply ingrained. And so even when they hear other people's stories throughout life and are like, oh no, a child would never be the problem or the reason for that. 
but I am. Somehow I'm embarrassed that I carry this unique belief that I am different. And they just don't realize it's part of their functioning that was there for deeply ingrained for years. And once you have a pathway that's been carved in the brain and it fires so rapidly, it's kind of like low hanging fruit. Everything that could jump in that that canal jumps in there. So mm-hmm. if you have a weird interaction at work, the first thought is it's probably my fault. Mm-hmm. That it just jumps into that filing system or it's because I'm not good enough or it's because, you know, these beliefs that we carry and every everybody's got them, you mm-hmm. know. Um and then you have defender parts of self who learn to help you deal with those things you don't like. And those are really interesting and fun. And we deal with those a lot <laughs> you and I in therapy. Mm-hmm. We deal with um people's defenders and protectors Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And it's important to be able to recognize that's what's happening and that they're there to try and help you. Um, And then you have what's called introjects. I'm just giving a few examples Mm -hmm. of parts of self, you know, and these are parts that we have brought into our internal dialogue from either generational talk, cultural norms, or in situations of abuse, they'll have they'll have specific abusers' voices in their heads, and um, they carry those real strongly. And it's a part that has carried that information for them, and so it's it's been brought in from the outside for for what feels like positive or negative. And we have all of these parts that develop across our lifespan. I think I just missed the third one. I said two parts, po- repeated positive, repeated mm-hmm. negative, mm-hmm. and then born out of necessity. Okay. When there's like a trauma that occurs and you have nowhere to file it, mm-hmm. which is what a trauma is. Right. Anything that overwhelms the brain's ability to cope mm-hmm. or file it. Mm-hmm. And so a trauma for Tori might be different than a trauma for me. Um, if someone comes in and is hyperventilating and just panicked and like, this is not a problem for me, but for someone who's not doing that all the time, it's going to make their heart race. And they're, you know, it's like, this is really dangerous. What am I going to do? Um, versus things that she handles every day that would be a panic to me. So everybody has different things that are traumatic. And then some things are traumatic universally. They're traumatic to everybody. We develop a part to handle that. Mm-hmm. So as, you know, as people start to understand, you have a lot of different parts on your bus and even the ones that you hate or the ones that you think there is no possible way this part could be trying to help me. It sits behind me. If I'm the everyday driver, it sits behind me and just shouts, you're so stupid. I hate you. You should just quit. You're terrible. Like, how could that part be helping me at all? You know, and to try and spend time understanding what's happening it's just amazing to watch people's body language relax mm-hmm. and start to understand how much it makes sense. And I, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just amazing. You know, the most fascinating thing, Jenna, is just what you said. When can we can have a curiosity yes. about those parts yes. rather than a condemnation or a shame yes. that we can bring those parts into the room and say, can we have a conversation? Yes. Um, can we know what is this part needing? How do we understand? Mm-hmm. Uh, where's this coming from? Um, you know, the, even those parts that, like you said, those parts that we want to say, I hate this part mm-hmm. of me mm-hmm. and I hate when I feel this and mm-hmm. I just want, I want this 
you know, young part of me that rears its ugly head. Um, and even saying that, that's, you know, we, we talk in that way, right. but just trying to understand that's coming from somewhere. Yes. Yes. And we have this dichotomous Western culture has this idea of, and in Christendom, we really have a habit of vilifying anything that we're scared of or is uncomfortable or, um, we're not sure how to automatically turn it into pleasing to God. And what's so ironic is that the scripture is just replete with, that's where Jesus is at his best. Mm-hmm. Like he comes into those spaces. And it's so cool to me that in psychology, all the decades of research and everything that we keep learning, just, you know, we know now this radical love and gentleness and compassion with our internal parts mm-hmm is a huge key to opening and helping them grow. And that's, that's everything that we're taught as believers and that the spirit brings about. And it just, we tend to go in that direction of judgment and fear and labeling and um, prescribing. We've got to tell you how to fix this. We've got to get you out of this sadness. We've got to tell you why that death was a blessing. We've got to tell you, you know, we just really want to fix it. (laughs) And Eastern, cultures have more of an approach of sitting with things and leaning into things, um, looking for the beauty in what appears to be an enemy, finding ways to sit at their table and to understand what they need, you know, where to, where to reach a compromise, how to meet in the middle. And so when a person starts applying that toward parts of themselves, it is amazing the, their own answers that they come up with. And it really takes the therapist out of the seat of um, somehow I'm going to be the expert in your life. How presumptuous. Mm-hmm. Like if I were working with you, I'm not a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've not been a minister. I've mm-hmm. not been all of the things that you've done, all of the paths you've walked, you know, what your children are like, your wife is like your culture, whatever your background. And I've always thought it's pretty ridiculous to assume I'm going to tell somebody I know what they should do. (laughs) And so it really empowers the client to trust and work with their own system um, and to see that God gave that to them Mm -hmm. and that he works within that paradigm. And as you're able to recognize a part that you might feel threatened by or you feel anxiety, if you stop and listen, it's usually got some really helpful information that people just don't really want to hear. A lot of times it's slow down you're doing too much, or I'm feeling danger, I need to step back and set some boundaries, or, you know, different things that people just assume is a a negative message versus your needs matter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was a gentleman that I sat with a couple weeks ago who I use this every day in some form or fashion with every client. It really marries well with EMDR, which Mm -hmm. I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this gentleman is a strong believer and it was so beautiful to watch. Um, We've been working together for a while. And so he's pretty familiar with different parts of himself. But on this day, in this moment, he was still a little confused and trying to approach, like you said, I use those words all day long, curious and compassionate. If I were to be curious and compassionate toward this part, what would I ask it? He was talking about, I just don't understand. You know, he's a, he's a professional that oversees a lot of people and is wonderful with his children. And, and 
there was an instance in which he had an instinct, but he didn't follow it. He second guessed himself and then somebody else did the thing that he was going to do. And he just, you know, why, why do I do that? I'm still, I don't understand why I don't trust myself in those instances. And so we took a few moments and sat with that part. And before I knew it, he just was just, just had tears streaming down his face um, as he identified that part of himself, that young part I kept asking, you know, what what did it mean to that part in the moment? What would it have, what was the scariest to that part of if you had stepped into that conversation? And he said, it sounds so ridiculous, but I feel like they would think I'm weird. And, you know, for like a, a 50-year-old, 40-year-old to say this, any of us at that age just think that sounds so juvenile <laughs> to say they're going to think I'm weird. Um but as he said it, it just hit a really deep place in him. And he was he gave himself permission to go back to that. I asked, how old does this part feel? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times at first people think that sounds kind of weird, but they know and they answer. I mean, they just know. They're like, it feels about seven mm-hmm. or it feels about 12. This was a preteen version of himself. And, you know, he knows how his needs were never validated in his home He did not have a parent who was ever attuned to him. His job was to care for his parents' needs and to make sure that he could stay connected to them by um, morphing into whatever they needed at the time. And so his needs were bad and dangerous to feel because they would have distanced him from his parents. So it's very hard for him to ever feel like I matter, that I'm okay. And it was so powerful because he automatically brought his dad self to that younger self in the moment, just sitting right there with his eyes closed. I did turn on some bilateral stimulation to just let it go a little deeper into the neural network. And he just wept. And it was just such a breakthrough. He just, the what he felt in his chest and body. And I see this all the time. So I know it doesn't, it's not fleeting. He will feel that. That's a connection now that's been made. There's a new network developed because we have a lot of neuroplasticity mm-hmm. that we used to not think we had. And now he's connected those parts. And when he sees that kid on his bus, his proverbial bus, and he notices what he's feeling, he can bring that self to put his arm around him. And just what was so interesting, I said, what does he most need right now? And in my mind, I was thinking reassurance. I'm just guessing, you know, you're always just curious what people will say, but I don't speak for them. And he said he just needs acceptance and permission to just feel inadequate. Mm-hmm. That's what he needed. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. That I don't have to fix it. I don't mm-hmm. have to be comforted that I'm good enough or anything else. Just that I can feel this and it not freak anybody out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on his own bus or with anyone else. And mm-hmm. so during the day when you can simultaneously feel, I feel really not enough right now and it's okay. The rest of me can look around and see that's probably not what other people are thinking, but it's okay that you feel that kiddo. Just right. pat yourself. Right. Right. And it's just amazing. Right. Right. Uh, it's just, this is all mind blowing. I'm just learning. I don't have anything smart to say, but, <laughs> but I'm, I think as I get older, I can identify, I'm identifying the parts of myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that's what they were called. Mm-hmm. Um, but to live in that mm-hmm. reality, mm-hmm. like he can do now mm-hmm. and put his arm around that part mm-hmm. of himself. Mm-hmm. Like 
that would be an incredible place to live in such awareness of those three parts of myself Mm -hmm. and how they inform my present part. So I'm thinking today is the good day for intervention. Okay. Let's do it. Let's roll up our sleeves. (laughs) Let's Let's go. Let's figure out my parts. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) And the cool thing is you never finish developing them. You know, we develop parts of self Mm -hmm. across the lifespan and the parts that maybe we don't like the way they do a certain thing. Once we understand what they're trying to do, you can redirect them. You can bring new information to them, but not when you've got them locked in the basement. Yeah. Right. Then you can't do anything. Because at some point they were providing or protecting. Yes. Something. Even if they learn to just lie at these, you know, people come in and they're so embarrassed. Like, why do I lie when I don't even need to? And they're, they're so ashamed. Um, and they really don't know. It's not that people are trying to not tell their spouses. They really don't know. Mm-hmm. So much of it is unconscious or subconscious. But at some point, that was what worked to survive a situation or to make something okay for other people and to make their emotional regulation work, right? And some mm-hmm. when it gets strengthened, it can be tricky to work with and redirect that part, mm-hmm. but you sure don't do it by yelling at it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they're slippery little suckers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. going to come out mm-hmm. in other ways. That's right. That's right. So Jenna, if it, it, just the average person listening to this, help me with a discrepancy or, or a clarity point. Somebody's listening to this and saying, mm-hmm. gosh, this sounds like a multiple personality disorder. <laughs> sure. This sounds like <laughs> sure. dissociative disorder. What's, how is that different? Mm, I'm so glad you asked that. So um, I have had the privilege of working with two individuals with true dissociative identity disorder. Um, it makes me angry how it's portrayed in mm-hmm. movies. They are, they are not threats to other people. They often struggle with suicide and harm to self, um, but are incredibly adept at managing how they are with other people. And it's really rare that somebody has true, complete dissociation from parts where they do not know that they've lost time. Right. We think about the M. Night Shyamalan movie where the, yes. what I forgot the name of it, but yeah, the guy yeah, yeah. has 40 people yeah. and he's manifest in that way. I think when people in our culture, when they hear this, maybe they go to that place. Sure. Of, yeah. And it's it is, well, you know, it, it can look like some of that when mm-hmm. I'm sitting mm-hmm. the, with these two individuals, you know, it's amazing that they have been able to function by storing such horrible trauma in their childhood right. in different parts of self because right. no one part could hold it. Mm-hmm. And so to watch them switch from a different voice, sometimes using a different hand to color or mm-hmm. write and, and then into a completely different persona, a different, you know, I, I did music theater for 22 years for mm-hmm. Jackson Christian. Mm-hmm. And so I taught acting. You cannot act this stuff. Mm-hmm. It is as real as anything Mm -hmm. there is. They completely switch. Mm -hmm. And they generally, though, are not doing it where other people can see. It's because of the therapeutic alliance that Mm -hmm. we've built that I can help come in and out of, help them connect. But what's interesting is that we are all on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. 
of dissociation. Right. That's the. Can you define dissociation for people? Dissociation is where you have completely separated one part of your mind from another. And so the everyday, even like people listening right now, I'm sure their minds have drifted at some point Mm -hmm. and they dissociated Mm -hmm. from the conversation. What's the idea, Jenna, of like, I'm in Kroger. I am looking at my list. I'm getting groceries (laughs) and I get a, maybe a bad text from someone. Yes. In that moment, I'm going, I don't even know why am I, what, what am I looking at? Yes. What, where was I? Exactly. Exactly. Or road hypnosis. You yeah, know, you've, right. you're, you've driven through, you have no idea what you've passed. Your mind was on right. something. Um, we all have varying degrees of this. Trauma increases the, uh, the disintegration mm-hmm. piece. And so people are less connected when you have healthy environments, back to that love, compassion, acceptance, somebody helping you label what's going on so it's less scary, you have a parent looking at you with love, you internalize that gaze into how you treat yourself. Um, if there's a lot of constant shame and anger and not knowing what to expect and rejection and fear, you just lock the stuff that feels unacceptable behind closed doors and you set up strong rules. You basically use fear and punishment for yourself too. Mm-hmm. Don't do this or this will happen. Mm-hmm. And it's to keep yourself safe. That's the brain's number one job is to keep us safe and then to keep us connected. Mm-hmm. And so when people have had less permission less um, security, less goodness in our culture. We just kill the idea of how we were made to have decompression time and for our brains to connect the day's activities and the natural bilateral stimulation of walking left, right, left, right, using our hands, doing tasks at home. Now we're just vegged out with a screen. So we're basically killing all the ways that we were designed to naturally process life Mm -hmm and to digest the day's experiences, to metabolize them. Those times when we used to sit in our car between places and have time for stuff to move to where it needs to go and for us to extrapolate what we need and let go of the rest. Now it's filled with phone calls from point A to point B. Um, So I don't want anyone hearing this to say that if I have less connected parts, that means my parents weren't good to me or that I've not done something right. There's a variety of factors working against us. Mm -hmm. And so, but when you do insert trauma, we have particularly exiled parts that we do not want to be part of our everyday selves. Mm -hmm. And so We have, um, if you could see a diagram, I have this one picture I really like to show people of intersecting circles and a healthy level of parts, the circles overlap and interact and they can work together and inform, you know, the cortex encompasses everything and can listen to the brainstem and listen to the amygdala and, and the thalamus, the switching station of the brain. And it all happens organically when you don't, when you have the circles have more separation between them um, and you only have certain parts that touch, we just don't communicate well with those parts. And that's when you get the like, I'm not angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people looking at you are like, um, I think you are, mm-hmm. you know, you just, mm-hmm. you are not connected 
to yourself in that moment. And we're not taught to breathe it down and to try to get reconnected in our brain and to listen to the body and to listen to the feelings and label them. We pretty much stink at that. Mm -hmm. And so we try to just live out of the places that we like. And then we're very confounded why we can't do that at home (laughs) when all the things intersect. Um, Does that kind of answer that question? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tori, were you going to say something? No, what, where, what happens at home? Like that's where our guards are down. Mm -hmm. That's why we can't maintain that same level of, Mm -hmm. well, what happens at home is that you are queuing up so much more material than new spaces in life. Mm. And so, you know, when you go back to reunions and you find yourself or people go on family vacations and you laugh about it, but it's like, I feel like I'm 10 again around my sister. Mm. We're reacting out of this, like we're bickering, we're just silly stuff that you can laugh about. And yet it's real because it sounds like, smells like, feels like those neural networks that were developing in you. I do a really thorough history with people and I'm not a fan. I am not a therapist who's going to ever argue with a client about what to work on. If you want to work on what's happening right now versus a couple of things that maybe if you wanted me to choose, I might prefer to start with, we're going to work on what you want to work on right now. I just need to know a good background so that I'm informed about what is feeding into that. Um, And it usually does really help people connect their own dots as they do a really thorough timeline and understand things that were developing beliefs in themselves, parts of previous relationships, um, you know, will do different significant friendships, romantic relationships, and so on. But there's nothing like family. Mm. Nothing. It's every moment of every day when you're a baby, when you're a toddler, when you're a child and you're a preteen. And so the patterns of what you see with mom, dad, myself, siblings, the adults around me, they are so deeply ingrained. And as you start to understand that, you can be so much more helpful and gentle with yourself. And so couples, it's beautiful because they start to recognize rather than personalizing everything like this person's reaction right now is about me they can put grace and understanding and hold hands while their spouse is able to say yeah i realize what's coming up in me right now is a lot of these messages of my biggest fears my biggest wounded spots um the way that I interpret that look on your face takes me right back to this. And when someone can get that, you've just jumped eons ahead of how many sessions you're going to take if you try to work it out just between the two of you. And it's so beautiful because it gives you, like God gave us so much more agency um, or like control over ourselves and our environment then we realize and we spend a lot of time trying to make the people around us fix the stuff inside. And we don't know, like this woman I sat with recently who just was just tears just streaming when I asked, you know, if if your husband is never going to be able to validate, he's shown no track record of ever giving you positive feedback as a wife. Where might you be able to draw from to answer some of these questions of self-evaluation 
if not him. And she just, the hopelessness in her eyes, it was like nowhere. It's impossible. If he doesn't validate it, I could never decide I am being a kind wife or a good wife because we've farmed that out. Like whatever his issues are, she felt rendered completely helpless to ever reach a decision. But I asked her, you know, if, if you're at a company and you knew like a CEO, he his issues and that he was never going to be able to give feedback to the people around them. Um, the other sources that you draw from to give reviews or to, to verify somebody's quality of work, you have multiple sources. You don't just say, oh, well, you're just never going to get a good report. Guess you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so we just, we don't understand that like within ourselves, we can use sources. Um, you can bring yourself to the table. You can bring your mom self to the table to work with your child self that never knew how to get what she needed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just really powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Jenna, can you talk a little bit about the, the spiritual components of, mm. you know, and you help me in this, but I envision mm. just as we read the gospels of Jesus interacting mm. with mm. the leper and the man who was lame and the man who was blind and the woman with the issue of blood and, mm-hmm. and he, mm-hmm. he engaged and he healed and he interacted and the woman at the well, mm-hmm. and he has a conversation. Mm-hmm. Jesus is doing that internally mm-hmm. with us and mm-hmm. in our parts mm-hmm. he's in he's interacting he's engaging uh, he's healing mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on mm-hmm. that it's just so powerful to allow ourselves to be seen and yet it's very scary and it's one of the primary things when we dig down to core messages because most of the time when people come in they're not even aware of what the core message that they're dealing with inside them is it's just examples of surface level problems um but as they dig underneath that there's usually themes and core messages and one of the primary ones that i hear is i'm not seen or heard and so we are meant to be seen and heard and the lord does that time and time again with people and he speaks right back to them what he sees and it's always shocking because what he follows with is an act of compassion or love or just I see you he doesn't he doesn't try to fix it he doesn't tell them right then what to do with it just I know this I know that you've had this many husbands I see we don't know if she had been abused we don't know if she was promiscuous we we don't know but he just saw her mm-hmm. And then it doesn't change anything. And so we do that as therapists. You know, it's very valid, validating to people. Often I'm the first people person they've ever told something to. And just to, to witness that and to sit with them and help absorb that and digest it. And God is doing that with us all the time. We just think we need to block him out. And like we do in our head, we're like, mm-hmm. don't look over here. There's nothing to look at. I'm going to do a song and dance and distract you. Don't look behind the wall. You know, <laughs> it's like, and it's so fun with people. We will laugh hard in the middle of crying because it's just funny what our brains come up with and the way that they'll, when they start to see it, it's comical. Mm-hmm. And yet it's so real too. Right. We are acting like little children doing a song and mm-hmm. dance to distract 
ourselves from looking behind door number two. And when people are so afraid that they are breaking out in hives about what we're going to find. And of course, we don't just open the door. We work with them Mm -hmm. to lovingly and gently resource to where they they feel comfortable opening the door. Mm -hmm. But when we do, inevitably, it's like, that was not nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. What you build up for yourself is so, it's like the fear of having a panic attack is often worse than the panic attack. That's right. And so helping people identify, one of the first things we do is identifying parts of self. And I can assist with that in what I hear. Like here's, here's a theme I hear a lot. Or as soon as you start to talk about something, you preface it with this part of you needs to make sure I know, you know, this is bad. (laughs) Now I, I know this is wrong or I know this is bad, but, and so it's important to you. There's a part of you that wants to make sure the moral judgment is pronounced, That's right. you know, or the part of you that wants to make sure, Mm -hmm. you know, or as you tell a story, I, I notice this, um, this rescuer part of you that comes in and minimizes, but it's not as bad as what other people experience. Yeah. I mean, my my dad hit me and stuff, but um, it never, it never left as many marks as my brother. And so the, the parts Mm -hmm. that minimize what you experienced in order to, they think they're helping you, to handle it. And so as we write down and examine, or like you even said, um, the part of me that says like work is such a value and it's important that I keep up my yard and my home and Mm -hmm. my car. And, and the part of me that really believes rest is valuable Mm -hmm. and that it would be okay to let some things go. Mm -hmm sitting with those two parts and allowing Mm -hmm. some negotiation. Right. And I'll use the example of like, if you were to go in and be assigned to be a boss over a new team of people, one of the, I mean, of course the first thing you would do would be to get to know each one's job, what their role is or what they think their role is, what they want to bring to the table. And then understanding the nuances between people, like where conflicts tend to arise or where they might have opposite viewpoints and how necessary it is. You know, the finance person who's really worried about money is going to have a different thing to say than the person doing marketing and the person wanting to advance um, what you're doing. And yet you need both parts if you only had budget person speaking right. or if you only had marketing, yeah. <laughs> you'd be in trouble. Right. Right. Oh, that is right. so fascinating. Is. So many things um, that we could mm-hmm. talk about. And um, we definitely, this is a, this is a multiple hour conversation mm-hmm. definitely that we have is. today. Mm-hmm. I do want to say this real quick. Cause I'd love that idea when you talked about bringing the spiritual component into it and, our need to be seen. Mm-hmm. I was reading this morning about Hagar and mm-hmm. then when she had ran away and God called her back and said, just go back. And she just did that in obedience. Nothing changed in her story. Mm-hmm. Nothing changed mm-hmm. to, she was going back to dysfunction, but she said, God has seen me. And she gave him a name and she turned right around and went back into her dysfunction. Not that we want to go back into dysfunction, but what gives us the power to exist in it is that we are seen by God. Yes. And I just love yes. that. I just love that the Lord gave me that this morning to read and yes. to sit here with you and 
and put this all together that at the end of the day, what we need to know is that Mm. God sees us Mm -hmm. and we can see ourselves through that same lens. We can't see the ugly without his help. Mm-hmm. It's too yeah. overwhelming. Right. right. So when we pray and when David said, you know, God show me the anxieties within me, right. it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm anxious. Take it away. It's like, help me understand. Right. Show me, give me strength right. to look right. at those things that I hate right. Right. so that right. I can bring them to you for healing. Right. Like in the shack where right. the gardener right. says, oh, this is I, this is what I do. I right. take a mess of tangled right. weeds and thorns and I can't wait to get in here. Right. Mm. Yeah, it's, it reminds me of um, C.S. Lewis and one of the, I, I forgot, I think it's Weight of Glory. One of his essays, he gives this analogy of um, there is the sexual sin that's kind of um, personified as a, as a lizard. And uh, there's an angel that shows up and says, can I kill this? Mm. And the, the, he's no, I, I want to hold on to it. So mm-hmm. it's that idea that I'm not ready yet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then eventually the angel, uh, he quote unquote kills it, but it transforms into a beautiful stallion. Mm-hmm. So it's that mm-hmm. idea of there are even those, those negative yes. parts yes. that God is saying, I'm going to transform that. I'm going to redeem that. I'm going to, I'm going to make that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, so that that functioning, everybody on the bus is there yes. and there's a redemption process yes. in, in that inner world mm-hmm. with us. And that is so powerful and so important. Gosh, we could talk all day about this, um, but we're but our of, million listeners are probably our, yeah our million yeah <laughs> our millions and millions of listeners have probably met their their limit today. But Dr. Britt, we want to have you back on the podcast to continue this conversation. This is a um, incredible thing. Can you, as we end, can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about Reenvision Counseling? Oh, sure. Yeah. We have some of the most incredible people on staff. I just, I can't believe I look around every day and just think, God, you're so, you're so good to me. These people are awesome. Um, We have 11 therapists on staff and we, all of us are trained in EMDR, um, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing therapy and ego state therapy. Mm -hmm. And that is the lens through which we practice looking at our clients as how does, how is this working? What was functional about this for you rather than what can we label as dysfunction? Mm -hmm. We do not use insurance. I hate labels. I hate having to be stuck in a box and slap something on a person and argue Um, we just don't believe it's best practice for us. And so we keep a variety of rates. I always try to keep one excellent intern. I'm fortunate to get the cream of the crop whenever Freed Hardeman or Union, they're so good to let me know, like, we know your private practice. I want you to interview this person. And then we try to do a $40 rate. And I work with that person for an hour each week under my own supervision. And they go through our trainings too. And so um, that's comparable to most insurance copays. Yep. And then we have um, three or four therapists at a $75 rate, uh, several at 100, several at 125, and mine is at 150 mm-hmm. um, per hour per session. And it's it's an investment and it's, it's an accountability. It holds our feet to the table. Like mm-hmm. 
you use every minute of your session. You know, um, we also are unique in that our whole staff assembles together every uh, Wednesday. I'm missing it today, but on Wednesdays, we sit down from 11 to 1230 and we pray together and we staff together and we just take care of each other. Mm-hmm. Um I just think it's so important and Mm -hmm. it was something ingrained in me 25 years ago in Memphis, Agape Child and Family Services. Mm -hmm. Um, And then every Thursday we take an hour and we do continued education. So we just finished a polyvagal training together, Mm -hmm. stopping and starting it, listening. We just did a DBT study Mm -hmm. the time before that. And it just keeps you fresh and bringing in new approaches and interventions. but yeah, we are mm-hmm. so thankful for what we get to do. Right. So if our listeners are um, wanting to connect with Re-Envision Counseling, um, we will have the link uh, on our social media um, page. Uh, what's the website? It's reenvisioncounseling.com. Okay. There is a dash okay. in the website. Right. So it's R-E-N-V-I-S-I-O-N counseling.com. Yeah. So we would just encourage... Um, uh, Jenna Britt and all of the providers at Reenvision do an amazing work and I've gotten to know uh, several over the years and um, Jenna thank you so much mm, so uh, for taking to time here. to do this we definitely want to have you back on and right. continue this conversation uh, very very important work uh, that you do and we appreciate all that you do for thank our community you. thank you so much Thank you for joining us today on the Storyform podcast. For more information about Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, you can visit us at fellowshipjackson.com. Join us next time as we enter into the story of others together.